remember the last spanking you received as a kid? Now, for some of y'all, that's a long time ago. For some of y'all, that might have been on the way to church this morning. You know, that reach around the back seat sort of thing. Um, Or maybe your parents weren't the types to give you, you know, we call it in Southeast Texas a whooping. Maybe your parents weren't the type to give you a a whooping. There's many different forms of discipline. As a kid, I got both various punishments and a whooping a few times. Uh, I can only remember though growing up, two spankings that I got from my father. Now, my mom was a different story. We were in our lives much more on the day-to-day while my dad was at work. So she gave me many more, but wasn't a big deal. You know, mom, whoopings for mom, eh, you kind of put on a show, but it's not a big deal. But when my dad, when I knew when I, my dad got home, what was coming, terror filled my body. Because I don't know if you've ever met my dad. His hands are the size of tennis rackets. And I, w- I, I was fearful, but when my dad set me down, he was like, hey, he's like, I want to let you know. I have to give you a spanking, but it doesn't please me to do that at all. As a matter of fact, I hate doing this, but he said, I wouldn't be the kind of dad I should be to you if I let whatever it was I did, if I let that just go by without dealing with that. You know, discipline should never be about making a parent feel good or just this release of energy for the parent. It should be because you love the kid. And so my wife and I, we have a rule that we live by. We have several, but this is one of them. It's don't raise kids you don't like to be around. It's one of our rules. Don't raise kids you don't like to be around. Now, we all get on our nerves from time to time. I get on my kids' nerves. My kids get on my nerves. My wife gets on my nerves. I get on my wife's nerves. This is just life. But there's a difference when our kids start doing things or behaviors or sometimes sins, we don't let those go. We intervene quickly. And the reason we do that is, is twofold. The primary reason is secondary reason. The secondary reason is for my wife and I, because we want to enjoy being around our children. We want other people to enjoy being around our kids. We want our kids to be a blessing to people. But the primary reason that we discipline our kids is we want to shape their behavior. But beyond that, We want to shape their hearts because their behavior is downstream from their hearts. Hearts first leads to behavioral change. We want them to avoid consequences of sin and poor behavior. And we also know this, that if we don't correct our kids' behavior and we don't like being around our kids, then other people won't like being around our kids and they won't have our kids spend time with their kids and our kids miss out on all these opportunities of socialization. And research shows this, that for parents who don't discipline their kids, not only does it affect the here and now, but it affects them 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And so you're wondering, well, we're talking about Jonah. Why are we talking about kids? Because there's this direct application here. Because what do we see in Jonah's life? We see this willful disobedience. And the Bible says this, that those whom God loves, he disciplines. And so God is disciplining Jonah. He deals with Jonah's disobedience. Now, why is that? Well, one, because you can't disobey God because he's God. He's the authority. And I think in our lives, there's this tension where sometimes we need to hear God loves you. Like he loves you. He sent his son for you. And sometimes we need to hear, be ready, son. Dad's coming home and you're in trouble. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded of who God is, that he's holy and that he's big and that we will answer for our willful and our, our unwillful disobedience. So God deals with Jonah, but God also does this because he loves Jonah enough to discipline him. And Jonah's disobedience directly impacts the people in his path or his would-be path. And so God intervenes in Jonah's life. And in a moment, we're going to talk about these harsh mercies that sometimes God brings into our lives. So before we jump into our text this morning, let's review. Last week, we left on a cliffhanger. Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. The sailors try to avoid that, but the storm wouldn't calm down, so they throw him overboard. And we know this. God says go. Jonah said nope. Why was that? And here's the, here's the whole message at large in the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want to see these pagan Ninevites repent and come to know the Lord. He didn't want to see them experience the goodness of God. And you know what? I've met Christians like this before who feel like this is our club. And if you're outside of the club, well, I hate to be you, but this is, this is for us. And so Jonah learned in his disobedience that he can run, but he could not run the storm. We can run, but eventually our consequences catch up to us. And we saw last week that our storms, when we invite those into our lives, not only do we suffer, but the people around us weather that storm as well. However, the good news was that even deep within the storm, we still find God's tender mercy and his grace. And so that's where we left off. Jonah goes overboard. Let's pick up. Let's hear the rest of the story. You ready? All right, let's do it. Verse 17, last chapter in Jonah chapter one. It says this, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first thought. Don't get too focused on the fish. It's a detail. It's a big detail, but it's just really a detail in the story. Don't get you know, so wrapped up in the seaweed, so to speak, that you miss this grand view of the ocean. There's, there's way more to focus on than the fish. And so the first thing that I would invite you to think about before we really get into what dominates chapter two is the prayer of Jonah. Before we get into that, I want you to think, don't get focused on the fish. Be reminded of this, that God is sovereign. Because did you see the language in verse one? God appointed a great fish. First, God sort of hurls the storm at Jonah, divine appointment. Now God appoints this great fish. God works within the created order. God uses this fish according to his purposes. And we see all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, where Jesus speaks in the storm stills that God has control over nature. And in that, we're reminded that God is active and involved and in control. And I like, let's say this, let me put it this way. I like God's style here as well, because he could have went overboard. A band of pirates could have been, you know, sailing by, grabbed him, throw him in irons. That's not what God chooses to do. God gets extra style points for having this huge fish swallow Jonah. And sometimes God brings, just like he brings storms into our lives, sometimes he intentionally brings things like big fish into our lives as well. Now, God does not directly cause every difficult or negative circumstances. But certainly, 
Those are all under God's control. He has knowledge of everything that goes on in our lives and in our world. Now, again, oftentimes, difficult times in our lives are brought about due to our disobedience, which is the case with Jonah here. But sometimes they're just simply the result of living in a fallen world. But regardless, we said this last week, we say this often, God doesn't waste hurt or difficult moments in our lives. You know, as we sing this morning, we run to the Father. Difficult times are intended to bring us to God. We don't always understand the why, but we do know this, that God is always there and available to love us, to hold us. But I do, I think God is able to accomplish what he desires to happen through the free choices that we make as individuals, that God is sovereign. So don't focus too much on the fish. It's just a detail. It is used by God. We look past the fish. We're reminded, hey, God is in control. He holds the world in his hands. Verse 17 again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And it's here, if we focus on the fish, we miss the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Now, this is different. Because often we think of mercy and grace in certain terms. This is a fishy kind of mercy and grace. Now, what are grace and mercy? Well, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. One time, one of our kids got in trouble. They deserved a punishment. I gave them mercy. They did not receive the wrath of dad. And then we went and got a treat. We got some ice cream. That was grace. I gave them this even though they didn't deserve it. But what happens in Jonah's situation, it's a little different because the grace and mercy that show up in his life comes in the form of a fish. Jonah gets spared, gets saved from drowning through this fish that God appoints. He experiences God's provision. This is the grace of God in Jonah's life, though from Jonah's perspective, he cannot see this as an act of grace. It's also an act of mercy because what Jonah deserved in this moment was to drown due to his disobedience. But God shows him mercy again in the form of this fish. Jonah is not seeing this as an act of grace and mercy. But certainly we, from our perspective, get to see this is God intervening and taking care of Jonah. Now, often when I look at stories like this or when I talk about stories like this with people, there's a, there's a pushback of, this seems outlandish. Could Jonah have really survived for three days in a well without drowning or dying or being digested? Is, is, this, really, is this really possible? And I've met even Christians who are bothered by these narratives. And, and, and sometimes I'll be talking to Christians and they'll pull up a web article where this guy was swallowed by a fish, lived for four days, was badly disfigured and lived to tell the story. Well, that's great, but I don't think we need stories like that. And here's why. Because as Christians, if we believe that God created the, the entire universe just by speaking, as, as Christians, if, if we believe that Christ was raised from the dead, which is a much bigger deal, then why would we struggle with stories like this when clearly the miraculous is at work here. Now, interestingly enough, many would say that this wasn't a literal three 24-hour period, just as Jesus uh, being in, in the grave was not a literal three 24-hour periods. It could be that Jonah was swallowed, lived a day, and was spit out the next day. So we don't know, 
But the, the point here is, we look past the fish and we find a man by the name of Jonah. And we look and we see what God's doing in his life. And this is what often challenges me as I look at characters in Scripture. Is every character I read about, I see myself in that character to some degree. Because, you know, we like to think we're complex and we are as people, but we really all struggle with a lot of the same stuff. There's only a certain amount of sins. Nobody is unique in the way that they're tempted. We've all been tempted in similar ways, and all that temptation sort of overlaps. But Jonah has had a rough few days. He's had a long trip. He's had a brutal storm. He's had the fear of a watery grave and being tossed overboard. And now he finds himself cramped, Scripture says, within this belly of this fish. Now, I think it's interesting. During the storm, do you remember what Jonah did? He didn't pray. He didn't think. He slept. And his goal was to avoid God at all costs. But now it seems that God has his attention. I get the feeling that being in the belly of a whale is much less comfortable than being in the belly of a ship. And it seems that Jonah can't keep from descending. He goes down into Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down into the ocean. And now he is down deep in the belly, the bowels of this great fish. And it seems to me that he had to go down before he could come back up. He had to be humbled before he could walk in obedience. He had to arrive at a place beyond himself so he could learn what it means to trust God. And I think it's here in this belly that he encounters what we're going to call this morning harsh mercy and grace of God. The harsh mercy and grace of God. Now, maybe that sounds like a weird term. What, what do I mean? Well, I mean this. That God deals with Jonah in a harsh way, but in that harshness, he experiences, even though he doesn't know it, he experiences God's mercy and God's grace. And at times, church, we look at our circumstances and maybe we think, well, why God? Why, why this? And often the reason is what we tell our kids, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. Sometimes we sin and the consequences come. But sometimes in, when we're in the belly of the well or when we're in the storm, we're reminded that God is there with us. And even though we can't understand things from our perspective, we're still called to trust because we believe that God is who he says he is and that God will do what God says he will do. But in the harshness of being in the belly of this fish, we see God's grace and his mercy. And in our own lives, in the harshness of our circumstances and things feeling out of control, that's often when we learn to depend on God. The place we often learn the most about God is at the bottom. So before Jonah could come back to the top, he had to descend. And sometimes we ourselves need God's harsh grace and mercy in our own lives for us to realize that we can't do it on our own. That it has to only be through Christ. Now, you'll notice as we continue on in chapter 2, we see that Jonah decides to do something that he could have done long ago. He decides to pray. And he could have prayed before he got thrown over. 
He could have prayed when the storm arose, but Jonah doesn't do that. So you'll notice, let's work through this, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from a strange place, from the belly of a fish. Let's dig into this prayer. There's a lot here. Verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the grave. Some would say, hell, I cried, and you heard me. Now, if you remember, Jonah was the one who wanted to be thrown over. What's the reason for that? Because he didn't want to go and tell the people in Nineveh. His choice was death over delivering this message to these pagans, these people that didn't fear God. However, now he suddenly wants to live again. Now he wants to live. Why didn't Jonah call on God before? And isn't this us sometimes that sometimes we wait until things are as bad as they can get before we say, okay, God, I need help. And as a counselor, I've been doing therapy for a number of years. I've seen this a million times where a husband and wife, they'll wait till things are as bad as they can possibly be in their marriage before they'll find a counselor and say, okay, we need help. But the problem with that is often they've waited so long that it's so difficult to intervene. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God. God can always intervene. But sometimes we let our consequences get to a place where we still have to deal with those, sometimes for the rest of our lives. Verse 3, he says, he's praying. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows, they passed over me. Jonah understands this, that God has cast him into this situation. But here's what I don't think Jonah fully understands. I don't think Jonah has made the full connection that he is largely responsible for his predicament. Jonah recognizes that God's in control, but I think Jonah is still minimizing the sin of disobedience that brought him here in the first place. Jonah wants to be rescued, but Jonah's heart's unchanged. Now, And reading a lot of different people's thoughts on this passage, some commentators say this, that the best you can have from Jonah at this point is partial repentance. Well, I don't really know what partial repentance means. Like, I'm kind of sorry. Maybe that's where Jonah's is. He says in verse 4, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Most likely Jonah's talking about the temple in Jerusalem where they would, make, where they would worship and, and make sacrifice. And here it's great that Jonah wants to worship God, but I don't think we've still seen in Jonah repentance. And there's this disconnect here because sometimes we think we can worship when our heart is not what it's supposed to be. And worship is a heart issue. You can turn anything into worship if your heart's in the right place. Even washing dishes. You can glorify God, as strange as that sounds, by having a heart that aims to please God. And you say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can do to the glory of God because God is present with me. However, you can come to church and raise your hands and sing songs and worship and everything look great, but your heart be far removed from God. And that's just an act that you're going through. And I think sometimes we do this too. I know I have. Where I come to church and everything looks great, but my heart is far removed from God. And we so often have this tendency to compartmentalize our lives where we can come to church and worship and serve, but there's pieces in our lives that we have held back from God. 
where, okay, God, we know you're not concerned with this. I'm going to give you everything else but this one area. And for God, he says, I want it all. I want all of you in your entirety. Jesus would say it this way. This is Matthew 15, 8. He says this, he's speaking of the Jews, but it certainly applies to us at times. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And this is where I see Jonah in our story at this moment. In his prayer, he knows who God is. He knows God has brought this judgment on him. But I'm yet to see in Jonah a heart of repentance. Look at verse 5. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Verse 6, at the root of the mountains, I went down, down, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And Jonah acknowledges he is this close to death as he is sinking in the ocean. And I think we should be able to relate to this because as Christians, there was a time in our lives where we came to this realization that I'm dead. That I'm going to die and spend eternity apart from God because I am not right with God. Because I haven't accepted the covering, the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my sins. And so Jonah realizes that he is there, that he is knocking on death's door. And for us, we realize that ourselves, that we're helpless. We can't fix ourselves. We can't good our way to God. Verse, the end of verse 6, he says this. He says, yet... You brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord, my God. God intervenes. And it's here where he experiences that harsh grace and mercy of God. And to make an application in our lives, can I remind us of this, that God is able to intervene in our lives as well? And no matter where we are, no matter how bad things get, no matter how far, remember Jonah, he set out to run the entire opposite direction to get as far away from God as he can. Story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves, goes away from his father, says, Dad, I wish you were dead. He goes into the far country. Even when we're in the far country, even when we run as far as we possibly can from God, that God is still able to intervene in our lives. Verse 7, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah's close to death and he remembers. He can still call out to God. You can pray to God from, if you can pray to God from the belly of a well, you can pray to God in traffic, you can pray to God on an airplane, you can pray to God at work, wherever you're at, you can pray. Jonah says, I remembered God. And as I was reading this and thinking that Jonah remembers, I'm reminded that Jonah remembers, but God forgets, or at least is willing to forget. Scripture says that when we bring him our sins, that God forgives, forgets those, that he moves those away. He throws those into a sea of forgetfulness and he never brings those back up. That's what forgiveness is. It's never reaching into the past and beating someone over the head with their sin. And if Jonah would just repent, God would forget his disobedience and forgive him. Verse eight, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And I can't help but read verse 9 this way. This may not be the way that it was intended, but I read it like this. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, arrogance will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. 
And so Jonah contrasts the pagans who worship false idols to God-fearing people like himself. Now, Jonah is right. Those who don't know the Lord, those who worship false idols, will certainly be separated from God. But what I see in Jonah's words is that Jonah views himself and the Jews as deserving of God's love. And everyone outside of that, you don't deserve it. But here's what Jonah doesn't know at this point. Jonah doesn't know that the sailors who threw him overboard, these pagan sailors who he detested, he doesn't understand that they got right with God. And now they're God followers and they made vows and sacrifices. Here's what also Jonah doesn't understand, that God is going to deliver him from this well and he's going to send him to Nineveh. What Jonah has been trying to avoid this whole time, he's going to go to Nineveh. And he's going to do it, but he's going to be so mad about it. Jonah's going to do it in this way. One time when, ha- when Holland, our youngest, was little, she's standing up in the back seat while I was driving. I said, Holland, sit down. She stands up. I said, Holland, sit down. She stands up. I said, Holland, you're fixing to get in trouble. So she sat down. Buckles up. A few minutes later, she says, Dad. I said, yeah, Holland. She says, I'm sitting down. I said, that's good. She said, but in my mind, I'm still standing up. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly where Jonah is going to be, as you'll see. Yeah, he's going to obey. But inside, in his heart, he's still in willful disobedience to who God is and what God's want. Jonah is missing the whole Point. God, let us not miss the point. He says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, Jonah's right about that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Acts 4.12. There's salvation under no one else. There's no name under heaven and earth through which men must be saved. We can't save ourselves. It's not through works. It's not through obedience. It's not through baptism. It's only through Christ. And then verse 10, again, grace and mercy. And the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is delivered, saved by a well, saved from a well, all through this harsh yet loving grace and mercy of God. God is good to Jonah, yet Jonah is still full of pride and self-centeredness. Now, maybe you think this morning, well, Josh, you're being kind of hard on Jonah. And, and maybe I am. I wasn't there. I don't know his heart. We only get what the text communicates to us. But what it seems like here in Jonah, you know, when you were a kid and you got in trouble, and your parents say, and you, and you, are you sorry for what you did? And there's always one or two of us that made the foolish mistake to say, no, not really. Then it's round two. So you learn at least to say, yeah, I'm sorry. But there's a difference in truly being sorry and being sorrowful that you got caught. And what I see in Jonah is not repentance and sorrow. I see that he's sorry he got caught. 
that he's sorry that he's had these adverse circumstances. So in closing, our last thought today, I think what Jonah is struggling from here is what we're going to call a dead theology. A dead theology. In other words, Jonah had a lot of the right beliefs. His prayer sounds wonderful. But the theological didn't drive the beliefs. Or some say it this way, there's orthodoxy, having an orthodox understanding what is true, what is right about scripture and God and Christianity. And then there's orthopraxy, which is how you practice what God's word says. You can have a wonderful theology and be orthodox, but then stink at living out what scripture says. And if our theology doesn't drive our behavior, my question is, do we really believe what we believe? what we say we believe about God. And this is where I have an issue with Jonah. Now, if you know me, you know I think theology is incredibly important. That we should love God with our minds and dig into his word and wrestle with it and understand it because scriptural understanding is at an all-time low in the United States. Theology suffers in so many churches. We want to have a strong, robust understanding of who God is. But if it doesn't inform the way that we live... We're just doing some thinking exercises. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, the Old Testament, uh, something the Jews refer to as the Shema, is, it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is to say, all that you are. But in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He responds with the Shema. He adds a little bit to it. He can do that. He's God. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the theological. You love God in your entirety. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. He says, but second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Jesus says everything in Old Testament is condensed down to two verses, to two thoughts, to two commandments. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor. Jonah had a right theology, but he doesn't live it out so it's a dead theology. How do I know that? Because Jonah doesn't love God. Well, that's harsh. Well, The reason I say that is he would rather die than do what God asked him to do. And we can't say that Jonah loved his neighbor again. Why? Because Jonah would rather die than see someone outside of the Jewish race repent and come to know the Lord. Church, can I remind us of this, that a world is watching us. And you can tell them what you believe all day long, and that's wonderful. You should. But if we tell them what we believe and then we live our lives in a different way, we've told them what we believe. Because there's no better indicator of what you believe than how you live. Now, this is what I'm not saying. Am I saying you're going to live it out perfectly? Heavens no. Put a camera in my house and you'll see there are days where I slip into the old man's sinful Josh. Follow me around at work and you'll see there are times where I slip into the old. We are not going to do this perfectly. However, we should live out what we say we believe. Now, every time we read scripture, it always calls for a a response from us. What do we do with what we read? Because, you know, we have this tendency to read God's word and say, man, that convicted me so much. Close it and go on with our lives. This is what James says, James 1.20. 
He says, you know, it's easy to, to hear it, but you're supposed to be a doer of it. So this morning in closing, can I ask you where you're at? I ask me, where am I at? And maybe this week you're where you were last week. And like Jonah, you're just running from God. We know this. We, we saw Jonah try to outrun the storm. Didn't happen. Gets thrown overboard. Gets swallowed by a whale. The belly of a fish is not a fun place to be. Maybe you're running from God. Maybe in this moment you are in a struggle. Maybe it's a self-imposed struggle where your disobedience has brought a storm and a well. Maybe it's just we live in a fallen world and things aren't like they should be. And you're just in the middle of a struggle. Did you know you can do what Jonah did and you can call out to God? We don't have to wait till it's as bad as it can possibly get. God will respond and be with us and minister to us anytime we call out. Or maybe here this morning and there's a disconnect. And so often this happens without us being even realizing it. Maybe there's this disconnect between what we say and what we do. Maybe there's an area of our life that we have carved out and we say that God, this is mine, but you can have it all. God says, no, no, I want it all. Maybe you're sitting here today and everyone thinks you're fine. You look nice, hair's combed, makeup's on if you're a lady. Everything looks good, but inside you know, you know that your heart is not where it's supposed to be with God. You can fix that today. Or maybe you're here today and you realize, you know what? I haven't been loving my neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. The person who doesn't look like you, the person who doesn't like you, the person who hates our God, they're still your neighbor. Maybe you're realizing you're not loving your neighbor and God has called you to fix that. Or maybe you're here today and we said you're running and God is calling you to repent. Jonah still hasn't gotten there yet. He'll get there, but it's going to take a little bit more. When God calls us to repentance, we should respond. And can I remind you of something, church? That each person in this room, chiefly me, is in need of God's grace and his mercy and his love. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? Confessing to someone else and saying, there's something in my life that shouldn't be there and I need help because we all need help from time to time. But the true help, the help we need comes from the Lord. And so if there's something in our lives, we confess it to someone else and we repent and we confess that to God.